peace and mercy to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The text is the Holy Gospel. Please be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, the disciples, they're on the lake, the sea, the deep. It's very late at night or very early in the morning. It's 3 to 6 a.m. dark early, dead in the night early, and they're on their own. And who's responsible for this? Jesus is. He made his disciples get into the boat. It was his idea. Meanwhile, Jesus stays on the shore, on the mountain in particular, to pray. <laughs> Probably praying for his disciples. Praying to his Father that they would be his faithers, his trusters for their salvation. Why? Well, let's not forget that the text says that their hearts were hardened. Imagine that. After all they've seen and heard, they still don't get the theological salvational gist. Jesus is their flesh and blood savior, literally. I wonder if that's what he was praying for them to believe. Jesus sees from the mountain that they are having difficulty making headway, the text says, but painfully. Why? Because the wind was against them. It was an all-nighter struggle. They're rowing for all that they're worth. Muscles and backs pushed to the limit. This is more than Peloton, Payo, or Pilates. They're not going to make it to the other side and to the shore. Not on their own. Not by their own power. And that's the point. They need to learn to despair of themselves, and they need to learn to trust in, who do you think? That's right, Jesus. They need to look outside of themselves to Jesus, trying harder, looking deep inside themselves, or doing what is in them isn't going to cut it. Get it? So Jesus sees them. He's aware. He knows. And so the text says, he comes to them. Walking on the foaming, rough, turbulent, tempestuous, seething sea. Now, I can't help myself. My mental Bible concordance immediately goes to work when I hear that Jesus is walking on the deep. Check it out. The unseen Lord led Israel through the parted Red Sea. Psalm 77, verse 19 says, Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You remember in Job 38, the Lord rhetorically asked Job, Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked on the recesses of the deep? In Job 9, we read God saying, Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? You remember in Genesis 1, darkness covered the deep, chaotic, swirling waters, and the spirit wind of God blew over the face of the deep. You remember that the deep in the Old Testament also came to represent death and the grave. 
what is called Shaol, that dark, nebulous underworld that swallowed you up like Jonah when he was tossed into the deep by the sailors. You know that even to this day, sailors and fishermen fear the deep as they fear death itself. Again, in the Old Testament, the deep was filled with fearsome sea monsters. Do you remember their names in the Bible? Leviathan, Behemoth, Rahab, monsters that would gobble you up and never spit you out again. Sea monsters that pointed to Satan and the Antichrist forces of evil that stood against Jesus and against his church. Psalm 74, listen to this. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. Here's one more for good measure. It's Isaiah 27. Listen carefully. In that day, the Lord, with his hard and great and strong sword, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, the twisting serpent. And he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. In that day? Oh, well, that's fulfilled in Jesus. As we just heard in Mark chapter 6, lo and behold, it's the Lord Jesus who walks and tramples on the deep. In his ministry, which climaxes with his death on the cross, Jesus tramples Leviathan, Behemoth, Rahab, Satan for you, for your salvation. It's why Jesus is always shown in Mark's gospel to be casting out demons. Check it out sometime. The satanic forces in the deep have now met the master of the universe and their match. They cannot harm the disciples, or you for that matter. In the text, Jesus is trampling on the enemies, his enemies, and the enemies of the church, and he is squashing them because he walks on the sea. He tramples on the sea. Do you get it? He wants his disciples to get it too. And that takes us to Mark's quite interesting remark. Perhaps it troubled you when the text says he meant to pass by them. Can you trust a meant to pass by them Jesus? As if he doesn't care. As if he's not paying attention. As if he's not God in the flesh for them. He is, of course. So he does this why? Why do you think he does this? It's quite simple, to test their faith. Just like he tests your faith many times in your life to make you trust him all the more, to rely on him with your life, even with your death. Incredibly, the disciples in the text, they don't recognize Jesus, do they? When they saw him walking on the sea, the text says, they thought it was a what? A ghost. Imagine that. They see Jesus and they think he is a phantasm. Not God in the flesh, Savior Jesus. It's no wonder then that they're freaked out in terror. And so what does the Lord Jesus do? He shows them indeed that he is God for them. Immediately he speaks. Take courage. Now the English doesn't get it quite right. Literally it's I am. Take courage. I am. No need to fear. That spells out who he is. The great I am. Yahweh himself, who spoke to Moses from the burning bush, who rescued Israel from Egyptian bondage, who brought Israel to the promised land. Yes, take courage. I am. 
I'm here to help you too. I'm the God of your fathers in the flesh. So Jesus hops into the boat and the winds die down and it's all calm now. The fear then turns into amazement. I mean, complete amazement. But the disciples still don't get it. St. Mark makes the remark, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Hardened hearts. In other words, this Jesus, he can, yeah, he can do some amazing things. Uh, can't deny that. Got them out of some serious boating problems. Can feed large crowds with a little bit of food. Has a way with the sick. Even contends with demons and death. But do they believe that he is? The Savior? Yes, that's right. Can they trust that this Jesus is the promised Savior of the world and for all sinners and Savior even for them? Do you? Or is your heart hard? Is, is there something about this Jesus that just freaks you out as well? Do you not know what to make of this Jesus? Are you angry with Jesus? Or does he bore you? Could you live as if Jesus never existed? Or could you care less? Don't even go there. Because that would be hellacious. From today's epistle, St. Paul prays for the Ephesians, for you and for me, when he says, Out of his glorious riches, God the Father may strengthen you with his power, through his spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Yes, faith in Christ. That's the most important thing in your life. Faith in Jesus, because he is indeed the Savior. Now, as soon as the boat makes it to land, and I forgot to read the rest of the gospel, good grief. And they anchor at Gennesaret, loads of people recognize Jesus. They know now who he is. He's not a phantasm. He's not a specter. He's not a ghost. He's flesh and blood Jesus. And with great courage, they run off after him through the entire county, the surrounding counties. Without any fear, terror, or freaking out, they haul in as many of their sick friends, relatives, or acquaintances as they can get to the Lord Jesus. Wherever Jesus goes, villages, towns, farms, they follow him with their sick. They beg Jesus to touch them. And if they can't touch his hand, arm, or face, they plead to feel at least the hem of his coat. And the text says that I didn't read, pardon me, all who touched him were healed. What compassion. Jesus is indeed there for them, with all that he is, with all that he has. He was there for them and for you as well. Listen again to this promise. Take courage. I am. In other words, there's no need to be afraid, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your circumstance. Even when it appears that I am passing you by, I'm here for you. Do you see my hands? Do you see my feet, my side, the wounds from my death on a Friday afternoon? It was all for you and for your salvation. And Jesus continues to speak to you when he says, I've gathered you around my name, the name that I gave you in your baptism. And with my name, I've got you in my nail-scarred hands. And my promise is this, that if you believe in me and you're baptized, you're saved. With my own hands, I don't only touch you, but I give you my body and blood with the bread and wine into your mouths, into your very bodies. And my promise to you is this, all your sin, it's all forgiven. I dwell in your heart 
I abide in you, and you abide in me. I will never forsake you, and on the last day I will resurrect you from your graves. That's a Savior. And he is. He's there for you with all that he is, with everything that he is in his word and sacraments for your eternal healing, the resurrection of your body, and the life everlasting. It's no wonder then that you're here today. Thanks be to God. I finish with Paul's letter to the Ephesians that we heard earlier. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of Jesus.